Welcome to the Good Doctrine Podcast, where we believe that good doctrine establishes good living. I'm Sean Pasley. And I'm Josh Howard. This is episode 32, and today we have the first of two scheduled interviews. Um, today we're going to be interviewing Dr. Michael Heiser. Yeah, um, I'm really excited about it. I'm going to be behind the scenes. We've already recorded, uh, just to, I guess, let you guys even more behind the curtain, we've already recorded uh, the interview, and I'm just kind of behind the scenes monitoring since this is the first time we've uh, recorded a, a Skype interview, and it went very well. We're very excited, and we're very excited for everyone to listen to it. We're going to do our best to um, every resource that Dr. Heiser mentions, and he mentions a few. We're going to try to link so that you guys can um, you know, pick up these resources. Some of them are free. Some of them uh, we have in our offices. If you want to come by and check out some of his books or or something like that, you're more than welcome to. But um, also, just just to let everybody know, not to not to cut you off there, but um, I, I hope that this encourages people. The reason you may ask, like, why do we do these interviews? And I know you had something else to add to that. To that, I believe, Sean. But why do we do these interviews? You're you're probably not going to agree with everything that everybody we ever interview says, right? Um, but what we're trying to do is interview men who take scripture seriously um, and who are going to encourage you to dig deep. Um, and to appreciate what God's Word says. And I hope you get that from today's interview. If nothing else, I hope that Dr. Heiser's work will motivate you to grapple with things in Scripture that may make you uncomfortable, but that you'll love God more through that process. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I I definitely agree with that. You know, what I was going to mention is uh, just, I guess, to use some Christianese, a little bit of testimony about this, is the first time that I ever heard of... um, kind of this idea that, that we've talked about before, and, and Dr. Heiser will talk about in the, the episode, the idea of the divine counsel. Um, it was, Dr. Heiser mentions the Bible Project, which I know that many, many, many people are familiar with. It's this YouTube channel and podcast, Tim Mackey, and I forget the other, um, so I'm sorry if they listen to this, but I forget that his co-host They're names. not now. <laughs> they won't now. But um, anyway, they uh, it's beautiful um, art and just really a is. wonderful presentation of a lot of like really uh, serious doctrines and and very very core doctrines and, and theological beliefs. Well, they had an episode, I guess, relatively recently in the scheme of things, on the Divine Council, and uh, I watched it and I was really taken aback. And I know that Dr. Heiser will um, understand that because you know he said he was kind of taken aback when he first kind of was confronted with it. But I was really taken aback, and I thought, well, this is just. Very weird, very right. odd, and, and really left field. And so I kind of dismissed it. Uh, and then I saw something about Dr. Heiser on, you know, my Logos software when I was doing something for school. And, and I was like, you know, he said something about it. And I was like, oh, okay, that's weird. Then I was scrolling through Amazon, and I saw, maybe it was Amazon, but either way, Dr. Heiser has released a few documentaries. And I saw something, and, you know, it just kept popping up. Right. And so the more that I saw it, the more I thought, well, maybe this is something that I need to engage with. Uh, and so that being said, I never would have thought that this man who, you know, I'd seen on uh, documentaries and, I'd, you know, I'd read his books and things like that. I never thought that we'd actually be able to speak with him. But this is, is what I want to encourage our people with and, and, you know, our church with, our listeners with is um, no one is too high and mighty. Uh, to engage when when we're talking about things of the Bible. I mean, the Lord is the highest and the mightiest, and um, we shouldn't be afraid to engage with people who write uh, books about the Lord, who who preach the you know the God's word. We should uh, we should want to engage these things and not remain ignorant. Yeah. Um, and you'll hear and you'll hear Doctor Heiser on this. That's his heart is that he wants this not to remain 
uh, in an ivory tower, but that he wants to challenge exactly. Christians just to engage this stuff. Yeah, and, and, and so hopefully, you know, just two, I mean, at least one dummy and then like one really cool guy, um, you can figure out which one is which. I'm curious uh, myself. <laughs> continue. I mean, it, it's just so, it's just, it's still, I'm still kind of reeling that we were able to, to do this in, uh, interview and we, we aren't the academic elite. We aren't really anybody in anything. I know that you're doing your, your PhD work and you've been able to rub shoulders with some really impressive theologians and stuff, but but uh, just to be able to, um, you know, have access to to wonderful Christian thinkers like Dr. Heiser is really just, it's a huge blessing to me. Um, so uh, hopefully you guys benefit from this. I know that you will. Uh, if you engage with uh, what Dr. Heiser says, and if you engage with maybe the resources that, that he's offered and, and uh, that we provide you, uh, down below, I think that you'll really uh, you'll really be blessed, and I think this is a really important episode. So we're going to get into it. You won't hear anything from me, but uh, but Josh will be be taking over interviewing duty, and he does a really great job. So let's listen. We're pleased today to have uh, Dr. Michael Heiser joining us here on the podcast. Uh, Dr. Heiser is an active author, blogger, podcaster. I was, I was going over my notes trying to, to, to decide what to put on here because it would take quite a while to read through everything that Dr. Heiser's put out. But um, Dr. Heiser, you've served as a learning uh, a distance professor for both Liberty and for Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. You've been scholar in residence with Faith Life. Um, a lot of a lot of people are most familiar with you, and I think this this would at least be for our podcast. What kind of brought you onto our radar was your work in a book called The Unseen Realm, um, Recovering the Supernatural Worldview of the Bible, which came out in 2015. And then there was a companion book to that book called Supernatural, What the Bible Teaches About the Unseen World and Why It Matters, also in 2015, uh, which was kind of a shorter version of that work. So that's where you came across. I know for me, that's where I started first reading, uh, reading you. And then of course, after that, I wanted to kind of understand your, your perspective. And so I read through, you know, from your doctoral dissertation on, you've put out several different books, most of them kind of in this area, some of them, some of them a little bit removed from that, but you just had one come out on angels specifically. Um, and I think the title of that was angels, what the Bible really says about God's heavenly host, which was released in 2018. Um, and then you have an upcoming work, which I think that comes out next month on uh, Demons. Yeah. Is that yeah, correct? End yeah, end of April. Awesome. And the title of that book is Demons, and I think it has a, a subscript. Yeah, what the Bible really says about the powers of darkness. I, I think I got that right. <laughs> okay, yeah, perfect. Because that's been a long time look coming. look at Amazon to- to make sure that's right amazon will have it for sure and we'll we'll put links to this on our on our podcast when we uh when we upload it but i also do want to just real quickly mention if you have questions if you're listening to this podcast and you're unfamiliar with either dr heiser or any of the topics that we cover um he has mountains of material you can look on uh his website uh, drmsh.com is his personal website uh, if you're reading the book, there's a companion website called moreunseenrealm.com. He hosts the uh, Naked Bible Podcast. You have the uh, the Miklot, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, yeah. ministry, which is a 501c3. So there's plenty of ways that you can interact with Dr. Heiser. But all that being said, Dr. Heiser, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being with us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yes, sir. We've been looking forward to it. We've been reading up on these things and, and really interested. So... If, if most people are like me, I came across your work um, within the last few years is really when I started started really digging into it and trying to understand it. So for those of you who aren't familiar with you, 
um, or for what you've done in kind of the scholarly community, how, how would you describe kind of your main interest areas as far as your research and your writing and those type of things go? Yeah, I'm, I'm a, my, my training is in Hebrew Bible and Semitic languages, um, from Wisconsin. I've, I've been to a bunch of other schools. I, you know, Dallas seminary, I went for a couple of years. I went to another seminary for a little while, Bible college, university, you know, two years of the Ivy league and glad I, I got out of there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, just all, all over the place. Um, but you know, finally for, for my doctoral work, you know, landed in Hebrew and Semitic. So I like, you know, Hebrew and Semitic languages. I, I spend most of my time, uh, though, thinking about biblical theology, because I always viewed the languages as a means to an end. I yeah. mean, I'm, I'm grateful for people who, you know, chase particles and prepositions across text corpuses, you know, so because I'll mine their data for something useful. But you know, that, that's just not what I want to do. I, you know, I, I want uh, our our theology to be biblical theology, and I'm, I'm not the enemy of systematic theology, but systematic theology tends to be somewhat, you know, artificial and, and largely English Bible or tradition-based, mm. but it has, it plays an important role. You know, we don't need to, to drift off into why it's it, it's legitimate and important. But biblical theology to me is is sort of where the rubber meets the road. We what we say we believe should be informed by the text. So I care about what the text, the biblical text, can sustain in terms of interpretation. I, I never ask that people always land where Mike lands, but I, I want them to have good exegetical reasons for why they land where they land. Yeah. And so I, I I'm I'm a stickler for. Uh, insisting that we interpret the biblical text in its own ancient contexts, uh, contexts like the church fathers or church history, the Puritans, you know, all these traditions, you know, were, were significant in either keeping the gospel alive or, or, you know, kicking it down the road for the next generation. But they are, by definition, post-biblical contexts. And mm-hmm. even the church fathers are, are a few centuries removed. I mean, longer longer than the United States has been an entity, you know, removed from the New Testament, much less the Old. I mean, it, they're over a thousand years removed uh, from the Old Testament. So what we need to do is not filter Scripture through, you know, them, through these important figures, and they are important. And I, I think it's fair to say they were a lot smarter than, than we are. Um, but they had less access to material that helps us to read the Bible like the original writers would have you know, been thinking, what they're trying to communicate, and what their readers would have been thinking when they read it yeah. or when they heard it. And so that's really important. If we really want to understand what the Bible is trying to communicate to us, you know, why God prompted people living in the first millennium or second millennium B.C. to write this stuff, uh, these are God's choices. So if we really want to understand what they are trying to communicate, we need to have the Israelite living in our head. We need to have the first century Jew living in our head, not people who lived centuries or millennia later hmm. living in our head. So that that's the thing that sort of drives the bus. Uh, the If I can throw one more thought in. Uh, you know, people who really get into Bible study and they read commentaries and they read Bible dictionaries and journal articles and things like this, it doesn't take too long to figure out that there's a disconnect, and I think it's unfortunate, 
there's a disconnect between the way scholars talk about the Bible and, and what you hear in church. So I, I view part of my task as taking high scholarship, you know, from you know, biblical scholars all over the world and trying to, you know, trying to mine it for ways to, you know, kind of make it decipherable. You know, mm. I, in other words, I'll, I'll look at their work like, yeah, this is really important. This is an important thought, but good grief, you know, all the technical jargon here, nobody's going to be able to understand this unless you've been through a PhD program. So what good is it? You know, other than the people in the guild, well, I want to get out of the guild. And I think people who just really want to understand scripture will benefit greatly uh, from just the exercise of trying to make this stuff decipherable so that people can see the payoff and really what, you know, what, what scripture has to say. And I think, I think people in churches are routinely underestimated when it comes to their aptitude for, for content, for solid content, you know, the meat, not just the milk. And I think their appetite for it is also underestimated. So I, I'm trying to kind of run upstream uh, to that and, and try to give people content in an, in an understandable way. Yeah, no, that's super helpful. And I'm, I'm just, I'm thinking through what you were just talking about. Why are there, why does there seem to be, and this might be a little speculative, but like, why do you think just from your take, there's such a gap? Because when you, when you look at, when I was looking at your writing as compared to what's out there in the spiritual realm, like you said, you either have kind of popular level things that don't even try to be very theological in nature. Like, you know, most of us have read Frank Peretti and, and, and other kind of just popular uh, novels like that. Um, and then you have this severe jump to the academic. Um, mm-hmm. Why why is there so little that tries to connect the spiritual with the lay people uh, in the church? Yeah, I, you know, I think there's a lot of reasons for it. Uh, I'll start with the academics, you know, the, the scholarly realm. There are very few scholars that are, and this is a key word, that, that are doing something intentionally for the person in the pew. Mm. Um, my, my podcast, I try to find these people and have them on. Uh, who are trying to not only produce content for the guild, you know, people just like them, but also for the pastor and 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 the layperson, you know, the person who didn't go to seminary, doesn't have an MDiv. Uh, you know, N.T. Wright tries to do that. Daryl Bach tries to do that. John Walton tries to do that. I mean, th- these are important, you know, this is an important effort to at least try uh, and, and get people good material. So I think there's a lack of effort in the in the academic realm to do this, uh, I think it, it, in in some respects there's also, you know, I I don't want to be too harsh here, but you know, I think there's a misunderstanding on on the part of people in you know, in church about what the seminary experience is. You know, the seminary is is designed to be a person's first. A degree in theological studies. It's supposed to equip the pastor, you know, to for a lifetime uh, of study. Mm. And and sometimes, I think, sometimes seminary students, graduates forget that. And like, this is what there is. You know, I've I've learned it all now. And their congregations let them get away with that. Right. Uh, don't ask the probative questions, or or the you know people will just avoid the probative questions. But it's really not designed to do that. It's designed to be a good starting point, uh, a a sure foundation. And so, you know, if you're not looking at it that way, there's a tendency to, you know, not 
get into the text like you could or should. There's also just the trappings of ministry. I mean, this is a very real problem. You know, you could you could get straight A's in seminary and all your languages and just be a whiz kid and and you get out into ministry, you're not going to have 10 or 15 hours a week to review your your verbs, you know, right. parsing. You know, you're just not that's just not the real world. And so, you know, it I just think that that there are a number of these forces. Some of them are neutral, some of them are, you know, a, a little bit you know, there are things that could be avoided that we just need to be better at. Um, the certain expectations, you know, or or I don't want to, you know, I don't want people to question. I don't want my people to question my authority. I mean, I've 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 met pastors like that too. That just, I'm I'm the authority here, and and uh, we don't need to go any further than what you hear from me on a Sunday morning. You know, right. so I think there's a number of things that just sort of work against. Um, building an appetite, encouraging an appetite, and then, and then feeding people, uh, scripture, you know, the word of God and, you know, the ones that are, that can be avoided, we should avoid. And then other things are just, you know, again, the ministry just doesn't conform to this. So you, you have to sort of pick your spots, you know, and, and right. do what you can. And the fact that you have a podcast, I mean, says something that's, that's a content oriented thing. <laughs> okay. Right. You know, and, and but a lot of a lot of pastors won't do that. A lot, you know, scholars, you know, won't do it. I mean, some do. There are exceptions. The Bible Project. You know, Tim Mackey's a PhD. Went through the same program I did. Um, so these things can be done. They, you know, you just have to have the will to to do them. And if you're in a church context, your people have to be willing to give you the time to do them. And again, if they see the payoff, chances are they will. So I wish there were more of that. Yeah. No, that's that's really helpful. Um, I'm thinking of uh, one one thing that you mentioned because I do want to get to to your specific approach and especially kind of the worldview that you introduced in Unseen Realm and then um, you know in Supernatural as well. But before I jump into that, do you have any advice? So for those people, my question is: Do you have any advice for the person in the pew to look deeper into these things? And I'm just thinking of our particular ministry context. Um, mm-hmm. we hit a series on Genesis and obviously there's, there's mountains in Genesis, but when you come to, for example, a, a passage like Genesis six, one through four, um, mm-hmm. that you dealt with in, in, in several of your works, I think you've probably dealt with that on, on every platform I've looked at because everybody has questions about that passage, but what sort of advice, uh, can we give to the person in the pew? And I'm not, I'm not trying to be you know pedantic by saying person in the pew, but just for those who don't have the, uh, the seminary education, they don't know the original languages, maybe. Um, it's a daunting task. How how can we encourage them to dig deeper into these things? Like what sort of resources and yeah yeah yeah. I I would I'll start with a few simple ones that that really give you a lot of bang for the buck. Um, the Faith Life Study Bible, the digital edition, I, I recommend, and it's not because you know mine is one of the names on it, and you know I I did most of the notes for Genesis through Judges. But it's because in the digital version of it, it's like two to three million words. Oh, I mean, wow. they're, they're, you, you can drill down into the thing. You, people have to realize that when you create a study Bible in print, the publisher, you know, hems you in with a word count and a page count. Right. It's just because it can't be 10,000, you know, it can't be like 10 volumes. You know, nobody's going to buy that and it, it, it's you're going to just get killed, uh, you know, in, in terms of the money. You know, it takes to, to produce something like that. But in the digital world, 
that those parameters are not there. They're they're removed. And so that is a, a really good entry level resource. You, you, know, you just download an app on your phone and you get the thing. I mean, it doesn't cost you anything uh, that really takes people a long way. Um, I, I, I think of another resource like the Dictionary of Biblical Imagery. Mm. You know, a lot of people don't realize that for any given topic, any given thing, you know, trees, seas, water, you know, in, in the Bible, there are literal uh, meanings in passages, and then there, these things serve as metaphors as well. And, and you know, we're, we're too often trained to think metaphor means not real. No, the, the, the meaning of the metaphor depends on the reality of the thing, it, you know, it's drawn from or refers to. All right. Um, and, and this is used throughout scripture. So that's a terrific resource. It does all the work for you. It'll, it'll, it'll go through all the places where water is talked about or bodies of water. And it'll give you great illustrations of, of how, you know, each kind of meaning works in different passages, but just to be aware that this kind of thing happens in scripture, uh, is, is really important. So I, I tend to recommend that, you know, it's just a one volume I think Zondervan put it out, yeah. or InterVarsity. I, I can't remember which, but that that's just really, really helpful, uh, you know, for interpretation. The other thing, you know, again, since we mentioned digital, you know, at Logos we produced uh, what we call reverse interlinears. They're English translations that, in in the digital world, you can run searches with just a right click of a mouse on English words, but you're actually running a search on the Hebrew, the Greek, or the Aramaic from which the English translation derived. You don't even have to know the alphabet to do it. Mm. And it'll, it'll, it'll return those results to you and give you reports uh, on words. But for anybody who wants to do word study, it's as simple as a right click. Right click, choose lemma, hit Bible, there you go. You know, it, it's three easy steps. So there, there are tools out there that can really get people down the road uh, a considerable distance actually with with speed uh, if it's digital that right. uh, people just they're really not aware of uh, that they ought to be I was about to say I'm glad you brought up you know Logos and Faith Life obviously you have you know extensive experience with them everybody I think that comes out of seminary is well familiar with them but I don't I don't know that a lot of church members probably are so that's yeah that's really good to mention there's, Logos. there's no degree barrier right exactly <laughs> yeah and user friendly there's no union card that you need <laughs> exactly yeah um Dr. Heiser if you could so just for those who are kind of unfamiliar with with your work I'm just going to ask you just to kind of give not only an overview of 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 your kind of biblical worldview that you bring to bear in, in some of these more recent works, but also what drew you to those specific research uh, focuses for you in your life? I know when, when I read the first one I picked up from you was Supernatural, um, and because it was a, a kind of shorter, condensed version, I was immediately like, oh, I've got to read more. So then I went and read Unseen Realm, and there's there's obviously extensive notes and stuff. But how would you kind of kind of just, you know, broadcast that, that, that large worldview to people? Yeah, I, I think you know, the best way to sort of capture it is for those who, who will read Unseen Realm. You know, an Unseen Realm is an academic book, but I had a good editor, so it's readable. Right. But if, you know, if you're used to reading books with footnotes, you'll do just fine. Supernatural doesn't have any of that you know, or almost none of it uh, in it by design. It's just the core ideas. But in in the first chapter of Unseen Realm, I, I sort of have described my own watershed event. And it was it was basically just getting provoked to 
to look at something in, in the Hebrew text rather than the English. And it was Psalm 82, um, you know, and, and, you know, without, you know, jumping into the, into the content of that at this point, we can, if you want to, in, in a moment. But I was struck by the fact that I, I noticed something really significant uh, in Psalm 82 in the very first verse that, that I had never seen before. And I, I, there I was, I was in a doctoral program in Hebrew studies. I had taught for five years on, you know, the Bible college undergraduate level. I had two master's degrees already. And I had never seen this particular thing. Mm. And it was something that, that really provoked the question in my head, you know, down the road, are, are you really going, are you willing to read the Bible like an ancient person or not? You know, are, are you, are you, are you going to make this jump, this leap? Because I, I had the sense, I didn't, you know, I didn't know too much, but I had the sense that this is probably the tip of an iceberg. You know, if, if you do this, you're going to have to rethink a number of things. But I, again, providentially, I, I also realized, well, I, you know, I bet, I bet Paul, you know, knew this text. I bet Jesus knew it. You know, and, right. Yeah. You know, it's it's not like going to change, you know, the, the the content of the gospel or anything like that. But but nevertheless, it was so different to me, and the fact that I I really believed I should have run into this before and hadn't. Uh, it it really created again kind of a watershed moment for me and, and and so i said well you know i i i think i'll be okay i think you know the scripture will be okay i think god will be okay <laughs> if, I, <laughs> yeah. if i do this but you know let, let let's try it you know let's do it so i was provoked you know to get into israelite religion to actually start reading scripture like trying to do it like an ancient person would have to abandon my modern sensibilities as a product of the enlightenment and the scientific worldview uh, that we're raised in uh, to, to, to be made uncomfortable by the way an ancient person who wasn't modern right. would look at things um, to let, let my feathers be ruffled like that. And I don't regret it now. I mean, I, it was a little scary at the beginning, but I, I don't regret it. I, I, to, scripture opened up to me in, in ways that, you know, it's hard to describe unless you've sort of taken the, the, the trip yourself. And that, that's why I put in Unseen Realm, you know, I'll say things both in Unseen Realm and in interviews like, look, if you read this, you're never going to read your Bible the same way again. Right. Or you'll be reading your Bible again for the first time. And, and that's not marketing shtick. That's like real. <laughs> yeah. Okay? Because that, that happened to me. So I, I more or less had to be provoked just, again, providentially to, you know, to really to be humbled, you know, that, uh, you might think you've got a lot of this stuff down, but you really don't know the first thing about what you're doing. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, just to, to sort of get over that and, and, you know, take the red pill or swallow my pride, you know, whatever, however so, we want to describe it. So obviously you go into a lot more detail about, you know, Psalm 82 specifically and that kind of, yeah. uh, you know, the Deuteronomy 32 worldview and the other things that you yeah. talk about. But could you just give, just as far as Psalm 82 goes, can you just kind of give uh, listeners just kind of an introductory uh, push about sure. what that was? Yeah, so uh, the, I'll go back to my my little encounter. You know, I'm, I'm sitting there before church with a, a friend who was also in the Hebrew department and and as I've said many times, I don't know what, I don't remember what we were talking about, but I'll, I'll never forget the way the discussion ended. He, he had his Hebrew Bible with him there and he said, you need to read Psalm 82 in Hebrew. And, and so I, I did it. it. It's, it's really not difficult. 
you know, the first line is, you know, Elohim Nitzav Ba'adat El, you know, Elohim, name for God, we all know that. God has taken his place or stands in the divine council. And then the next line is Bekerev Elohim Yishpot, in the midst of Elohim, in the midst of the gods. He holds judgment. You know, we know the first, you have Elohim twice in the same verse. Mm. The first occurrence is singular, capital G-O-D, because of the grammar. Nitzav is a singular participle. Sorry for the grammar spasm. <laughs> but it is, and so capital G-O-D. But the second one, Bekerev, in the midst of, okay, that, that has to be more than one. So in the midst of the Elohim, in the midst of the gods, the first god, the big god, holds judgment. And I looked at that. I knew it wasn't a trinity because if you keep reading the psalm, you know, God is is castigating the other Elohim for being corrupt and wicked. So we're not talking about trinity here. Um, I looked at that and, and the first thought that popped into my head was, that sounds like a pantheon. Mm. Like, you know, like in ancient Greece or something. And then, I, you know, like how in the world could I have never seen that before? And then I, again, again, you know, thankfully, providentially, it occurs to me, well, again, I, you know, I bet Paul knew that, but Jesus knew that. <laughs> right, yeah. And, and so there, there must be a way to let this passage say what it says without coming up with a clever way to deny it mm. and have this fit or make sense in, in the sweeping scope of biblical theology. Right. And that just set me off. You know, I, I again, why have I not seen that before? And, and you know, and, and as I tried to drill down, you know, I didn't get any help from evangelical sources. They're saying things like, oh, the gods here are just men. Mm. Oh, the gods are idols. Really? Like idols are on God's payroll? You know, like, like <laughs> <laughs> he has positive expectations for idols. And right. He's not doing a job. Or, you know, you, you read through the whole psalm, you know, it, you know the, the, the psalmist at the end says, arise, oh, you know, God, judge the earth, you know, and take the nations and so on and so forth. I mean, the, the last time I, I checked, a bunch of, you know, Jewish elders aren't in charge of the whole planet. If you go over right. to Psalm 89, you have the same language, the council there with, you know, among the, the sons of God. And we know the sons of God are the Elohim in Psalm 82. Why? Because Psalm 82, verse, seven, verse 6, God says to the Elohim, I said, you are Elohim, you are God's sons, plural, of the Most High, all of you. Well, they're, you know, we know who the Most High is. That's not a brain teaser. So they're sons of God. You go over Psalm 89, and, and the sons of God in a council is in the skies. Again, I don't see a bunch of Jewish elder guys or anybody else floating around in the skies ruling the nations of the world. It just doesn't make any sense. Right. And, and so I didn't get any help, you know, from these sources, but the critics, oh, they love Psalm 82. <laughs> because it allowed them to argue that that Israelites, biblical writers, were polytheists, just right. like everybody else. And they had to discover monotheism. So it actually became the focus of my dissertation. There I am at a at University of Wisconsin, which is about, you know, it's it's the Berkeley of the Midwest. You know, it's about as far left as you can get. Right. And my advisor is Jewish, you know, and he doesn't, I don't know what kind of, you know, Jew he was, but he, he wasn't one that believed in the gods, I can tell you that. <laughs> But, uh, you know, so they, he let me do this, you know, to his credit. But there I am arguing against the, the whole mainstream of scholarship about this polytheism and monotheism trajectory. And I'm, I'm making them unhappy. And I'm going to I know I'm going to make evangelicals unhappy. But there I am mm. like a fool, you know, where angels, fool, you know, fear to tread, I guess, pun intended there. But, <laughs> you know, I, I, I just I get thrown into the vortex. And then, you know, 15 years later, you know, out comes 
what will, what would be known as unseen realm because this just took me down so many rabbit trails mm. and re having to rethink so many things right. um, that it, it still, I mean, it, I discover something new basically every week. You know, you, you, once you see it, you can't unsee it and it just creates questions and well, maybe this passage connects to this other one this way. And you gotta, you know, throw it through into the blender and see what comes out and, so it's made scripture a fascination, even more of a fascination. And it and it, it's given me, I think, a better way to articulate certain conclusions that we have theologically. Right. Uh, on on really, uh, I'll be, I'm willing to say it, really on along better trajectories or more trajectories you can actually trace through the text, which I think is important. How, one of the one of the things and thank you for that. That, that was a very concise summary. Um one of the things I think that like evangelicals in general, we seem very trained at application. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how does this apply to my life? And and that's, you know, that's, that's the struggle of any preacher or teacher of God's word. But one of the things that I think you've done so well in your work is you've shown, so here's this, this spiritual worldview. Um, here's this, this depth of grammar that we have to, like you just said, to be honest with the texts, to not ignore things that are in scripture. Um, but can you just reiterate, because um, I know you've said this elsewhere, but for those who are thinking, how does this affect me? How does this affect my life? You know, a- application thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say to those people as far as this this broad spiritual recognition in Scripture? Yeah, it, I mean, since we started in Psalm eighty-two, you know, the we, we have these sons of the Most High in verse six, and they what they're getting beat up for in the council meeting. And there are a number of council meetings in Scripture: Daniel seven, First Kings twenty-two, Daniel four. We get watchers come down and deliver a decree. I mean. This stuff happens, you know, a, a good bit. But in this case, God is taking them to task for sowing chaos among the nations and injustice and, you know, just enslaving the nations, making people's lives miserable, so on and so forth. And and you ask, well, what what is that about? And then at the end, you know, the psalmist wants God to rise up and inherit the nations. Well, I thought God had them already. Like, what's that about? Mm. Well, that that takes you back. You, you have to have the context for Psalm 82, which is the Deuteronomy 32 worldview. And, you know, we're, we're used to this kind of thinking that I'm going to describe. If, you're, if your listeners think of Daniel 10, you have supernatural beings who are called princes over geographic, you know, over nations. Prince right. of Persia, Prince of Greece, Michael is the Prince of Israel, you know, all this kind of stuff. Well, that comes from somewhere. It comes from Deuteronomy 32, specifically verses 8 and 9, which is about the Babel episode. We know the Tower of Babel story, but again, I was I was a doctoral student before I, I discovered Deuteronomy 32.8, you know, re- reading with the Dead Sea Scrolls, which is the oldest you know, version of the text we have. But, it, you know, it, it says, you know, when the Most High divided up the nations, you know, when he, when he gave, he fixed their borders and he gave them their inheritance. And, you know, again, that's a reference to Babel because that's when the nations, you know, we had one humanity and then they're divided up into nations because of the confusion of languages. Mm. When the Most High did that, and think of the terminology, Most High, and we have that Most High terminology in Psalm 82. When he did that, he divided them up according to the number of the sons of God. And again, a lot of Bibles don't have sons of God. It has sons of Israel. Right. Uh, which, which, if you really, you don't need to be a textual critic. You don't need to know about the Dead Sea Scrolls or the Septuagint and all this stuff. You know that that is the sons of God is the the superior reading, but it's also the only one that makes sense because Israel didn't exist 
at the time of Babel. Mm. So it makes no sense for God to divide up the nations according to the sons of Israel. There was no Israel. <laughs> right. Uh, you, know, it, yep. you have to wait to verse 9 in Deuteronomy 32 to even get there. Because what God does after he disinherits the nations and he assigns them, Deuteronomy 4, 19 and 20 is the parallel passage where God allots the nations to lesser sons of God, lesser divine beings, lesser Elohim, lesser supernatural beings mm. to, to run them. He, he, God judges humanity. He abandons humanity. He forsakes humanity. He's had enough. Right. And then what God does is he calls Abram right after Babel in the biblical story, and he creates a new nation from Abraham and Sarah, and that becomes his. That's why verse 9 of Deuteronomy 32 says, but Israel is Yahweh's portion. You know, Jacob is his, his own allotted, you know, inheritance. So when Psalm 82, when the psalmist says, hey, God, you know, rise, inherit the nations, what he wants to do is he wants all those nations taken back, mm. right? In the Old Testament, they're under judgment. This is the, where, where the Old Testament tells us other gods come from. Have, I mean, have you ever not asked yourself the question, hey, you know, when we get to Babel, everybody knows the true God, and there's kind of like this one-to-one relationship, and then, yeah, there's something goes wrong, and God divides up the nations. But then you go to the next chapter, Genesis 11, and it ends with Terah, you know, Abraham's you know, dad, being a polytheist. You know, like, well, like how did that happen? <laughs> right. Well, it, it happens because of what happens at Babel. God judges the nations. He assigns them to other Elohim. And basically makes them placeholders. I'm, I'm not going to have a relationship with you. I'm going to go start over back here with this guy named Abraham. He looks like a good candidate. He's perfect. In fact, his wife can't have kids. This is awesome. Because there's going to be no doubt <laughs> right. you know, as to who raised him up. <laughs> yep. He's perfect. So this is the biblical story. This is why the nations have the gods they do. They're not good placeholders. They do not rule their nations, their charges according to Yahweh's character and, and, and principles of justice, because that's what they're being condemned for in Psalm 82. They're not doing a good job. God, God doesn't hate the nations, because when he calls Abraham, he makes a covenant with Abraham and says, okay, I got a secret to tell you. You know, It's through you that all these other nations that I just kicked out of the house are going to be blessed. Right. We're, we're going to get back to them. But for, for right now, it's, it's you and me. You know, what do you say? You know, so this is the, the whole framework for the biblical story. And you say, well, how does this matter you know, to, to my life? Well, it matters because Paul inherits this worldview. These are Paul's principalities, powers, thrones, dominions, authorities, rulers. They're all geographical dominion terms, which is no accident mm. because we're, we're talking about geographical you know, entity relationships here, just like in Daniel 10. Right. Paul links the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus to the nullification of the authority of the gods over the Gentile nations. And this is the gospel he preaches. He goes into a town, he's talking to pagans, he knows they have this worldview. You can actually read this worldview in Plato, okay? This isn't just the Hebrew Bible. He goes into a town and says, look, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking you can't believe what I'm telling you mm. because you've been allotted to the gods that you have. And if you, if you change... If you forsake them, you're going to be in big trouble because they're powerful. Well, mm. I'm here to tell you that the Most High became a man, and that man was Jesus of Nazareth, who died on the cross and rose again, and now is sitting at the right hand of the Father, 
ruling the nations. He has authority over the nations because the same Most High that gave your gods their authority back at Babel has now withdrawn it. So it is okay for you to come back. Do not fear these other gods. Hmm. Come back into the fold. Come back home. It's, it's, through, it's through the seed of Abraham, the Jesus of Nazareth, the Most High become man. So th- this colors everything. And not only that, but he links, Paul links the return of the Lord to the, quote, fullness of the Gentiles. Yeah. Okay, it's actually part of eschatology. When, when, the, when, when, when those who are gathered, who are the Lord's, who are from the nations, and only, you know, God knows when that is, but the Lord's going to return. I mean, th- this, is, this is an idea, the Deuteronomy 32 worldview that bleeds into lots of doctrine. Right. And so what, what we need to realize is that, look, we have the Great Commission. What's the Great Commission about? It's exactly what Matthew 28, 18 says. All authority has been given to me, okay, in you know, heaven and earth, authority over the nations have been, has been given to me, Jesus says. Well, he should know, okay, because, you know, the, 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 the authority that, that hadn't, you know, been, you know, there because right. of God's judgment has now been withdrawn. So we, again, have every authority, you know, to go into places, preach the gospel, we know that that this is, you know, the expectation of, of Scripture. We can, we can, you know, I have stories from missionaries all over the place, you know, that that they're they're in places like India that are that are under this mindset of the gods. Hmm. Like, okay, yeah, we, we know that they're there, but their their authority has been nullified right. by the Most High. You know, in other words, we don't have to argue worldview, and you got to become American so you understand the gospel, and you know, no, you don't. Right. In fact, you understand it better. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. You know, once once you understand the worldview, you actually understand it better. But you know, all of this is to bring the nations back into the family. Think of the family metaphor. Okay, sons of God, children of God. Right. This is how, this is what Eden originally was. You know, we have plural language in Genesis one because God wanted to come to Earth. You know, he's he's telling. You know, he, he says he says to his heavenly host, "Hey, let let us let let's create humankind, you know, in our image and as our image and, and our likeness." And, and then in the next verse it switches back to singular because God is the lone creator. So why do we have the plurals? Well, he he the idea is look, just like we're doing here, where I made you guys, and and now you work with me to do things in the spiritual world, you know that that, that I want done. You know, I, I made you. But you're my children, but I want you to, to be partners with me. Let's go do that on earth. And and now we're going to have embodied, you know, children. I'm going to make these things called humans. And they're going to image me just like you guys do. So that that's why there's a plurality. Mm. Uh, we mirror, we're supposed to mirror in terms of family relationship, participation with God, we mirror them. So the, the language of Genesis one twenty six connects us and God and the heavenly host somehow. And that's how. It's, it's, we're back to the as in heaven, so on earth. So this is our identity. We're, we're, you know, we're God's kids. God wants a family. And our mission is to go out you know, into the nations and, and bring the kids back home. You know, this- God wants to grow the family. So we have mission we have identity, we have mission, we have destiny. You know, for the believer, why does Paul say, 
crazy stuff like in First Corinthians 6. Will you, will you people quit bickering among yourselves because don't you know that you're going to judge angels? Right. It's, it's like a throwaway line. He just assumes everybody knows what he's talking about. You know, Jesus says to the one that overcomes in Revelation 2 and 3, I will put him over the nations. I will let him sit on my throne. I will give to him the morning star. You know, and Jesus says, I am the morning. It's messianic rule. Well, what is, he, what is this talking about? It's to, who, you ask a simple question. Who's over the nations now? It's the gods. They still they, they want to cling to what they've lost. They, 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 they want to pretend they still have authority. That would be in this present age you're referring that to? That would be in this, okay, in yeah. this present age. And, and so, you know, at, at the end of days, what's going to happen is they are displaced by us. Hmm. The, the fallen sons of God who rebelled against their father are going to be replaced and displaced by his human children. In other words, Eden is going to come full circle. This is why Revelation ends with a global Eden. This is why we're put over the nations. This is what we get to judge angels. Right. You know, all of this talk. So, you know, it, it, it's more than just kind of Bible trivia time. The, this, this worldview that God, you know, is up there and he's working with his supernatural children, just like he works with his earthly children, and we have this Deuteronomy 32 worldview, and we have the judgment of, of you know, hostile powers of dark. All of this actually, again, bleeds into things like sanctification and eschatology and, and what our mission is in the Great Commission. It, it reframes all of those things, but, but sort of with a supernatural bent to it. Right. Um, and you know, the, one of the questions I get, I'll just, you know, and, and, and with this, and you can jump back into your own podcast here. <laughs> Um, <laughs> it's, it's all you, Doctor Hazard. Well, it, it, it's like I, I I always get the question, "What does God need with a council?" You know, He doesn't need any help, and I'd right. say you're correct. God doesn't need one. But you, we could answer the same question by asking, "What does God need with the church?" Hmm. What does God need with you? Right. The answer is the same. He doesn't need any of this, but He likes again to create beings like Himself and involve them in doing the things he wants done. Yeah. It, it's not complicated. It's just we forget there's two sides to that coin. There's a, an invisible supernatural side, and then there's the earthly visible side. Right. And in Eden, these things were married. They were together. God had come to earth, and, and we were all together. And this is the way it's going to end. You know, when it, there's a reason why in Hebrews 2, you know, in, in, in the, the big afterlife scene, the eschatological scene where... Jesus says, I'm not ashamed to be called human, to be called their brothers. And, and he introduces us to God and God to us where? In the congregation, in the council. Hmm. There, there's, there are reasons why this language is used. Why, why are holy ones in the Old Testament just used of the heavenly host, supernatural beings? But in the New Testament, hagioi, holy ones, terribly translated saints, are used Oh, that, that, that phrase is never used of heavenly beings. It's used of human believers. Why is that? You know, could that mean something? Right. <laughs> I mean, all these, these are all threads. What, what we've done here for the last 10 minutes is just I'm throwing out threads. And the, these threads have beginnings and they have ends and they intertwine. They intersect. They interlock. They form a tapestry. Mm. 
and and what I'm what I try to do in Unseen Realm and in Supernatural is look the the book isn't a theory of everything. It, it it's a beginning point. I I will I will show you. I'll give you the framework, you know, for understanding, you know, really from Genesis to Revelation, what what the Bible is about, with an eye toward again this this supernatural, symbiotic relationship with with God's plan for humans. I, I can give you the framework to that, and and if if you knew that, you you won't be able to unsee it because it it just pops up everywhere. Right. It it helps it helps us become readers that are able to connect dots. We have, we have lots of people in church, and this is a good thing. I mean, it's not a, certainly not a bad thing, but we have, we have lots of people in church who have lots of dots. They have lots of data points in their head about Scripture, but they don't have any, they don't have any way to connect them. They don't have a framework into which to put them. It's, it's sure. like they, yeah. have, they have the outer edge of the puzzle, and now what, what, what goes in the middle? You know? right. So this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to help people connect dots. That is, my goodness. And yeah, and, and if anybody is that's listening to this, because like you said, you're describing an entire worldview, and, and this is something that tries to, I mean, when I was reading it, 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 it felt like it was trying to kind of peel the sky back and let us see what's going on above <laughs> as well as below. You know what I mean? Like there, there's spiritual realities that are functioning alongside. Um, you suss a lot of those themes out far further in not only Unseen Realm, but in some of your companion material. So I just encourage anybody that has questions on that, um, there are places to go in, in your research, and I appreciate you giving that overview. Um, I want to make sure, because I know you have the, the book on demons coming up, and from, from what I can tell, it looks different uh, than anything I've read, at least recently. It looks very uh, unique in the way you're approaching this topic. Would you just really briefly, yeah. or not, it doesn't have to be really briefly, but would you just give us kind of an overview? What are you trying to do with not only the book on angels, but then this, I, I think I could call it a companion book on demons. Yeah. Um, so like, yeah, what's the I mean, aim? Un- Unseen realm is, is the framework. Angels is a drill down into that framework. Uh, you know, t- it's a, like a topical drill down on one thing. I gotcha. the heavenly host, the, the good guys, the white hats. Okay. <laughs> Demons is, is the bad guys, the black hats. You know? Gotcha. So I, I, you know, I, I can say that the, the demons book is going to be the way that material is presented is unique. The, the material in the book is not unique. Again, the, the dirty little secret is that Mike never had an original thought. <laughs> um, again, I, I depend on the work of scholars. Um, I, I'm, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a dot connector. I'm a synthesis guy. Okay? I, you know, that, that's, I can't help it. That's just what I do. Um, and I'd love to say I developed this skill and I'm really smart, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> It's just the way I'm wired, you know, but it's unique in that I'm going to, I address in the book, the, the powers of darkness. That's that Satan and everybody else. Okay. All of them from the perspective of, it's going to sound audacious, but the way the old Testament presents okay, <laughs> biblical theology, that is, they, there, there wasn't just one rebellion. There were three. Hmm. So if I like to introduce it this way, you know, if you if you ask the average, you know, Christian, hey, you know, why the, why is the world such a mess? You know, how do we get evil? You know, like both cosmically and human. You know, what what happened here? Right. The, the typical answer you're going to get is, oh, it's the fall. Right. It's Genesis three. You know. Well, if, if you ask the same question to an Israelite or a first century Jew, that is not the answer you would get. The answer you would get is, well, you know. 
the, the what happened in the garden that starts it off. You know, that, that's that's the initial re- rebel and the initial rebellion, both human and supernatural. You know, that, that that's the first of three. Number two is Genesis 6, 1 through 4, really 1 through 5. And then the third one is what we just described happening at Babel. So, okay. if, again, there, there, are, there were three transgressions in, in the space of Genesis 1 through 11. Again, not coincidentally before God just throws, you know, figuratively, figuratively speaking, throws up his hands and says, enough of you people. Right. I'm going to start over with this, this guy and his wife, you know, from Ur. Um, but there are three reasons why the world is what it is why humanity needs salvation and, and why humans were corrupted and, and, you know, why God has spiritual opposition and human opposition. There are three reasons, not just one. So what I do in the demons book is I, I lay that out both in terms of old Testament and then the, the intertestamental period, because you have a bunch of, you know, people who, who love their Bible you know, their Bible is the Hebrew Bible, our Old Testament, mm. living between the time the Old Testament period ends and the time we get the New Testament, the first century. You've got you got four or five hundred years in there where people are thinking about their Bible and they're trying to understand it. So I, I trace the three rebellions through that material and then on into the New Testament. And there we go again. You know, how how do these three again rebellions, these three launching points for for evil for evil? How do they sort of play out through the Old Testament, through the intertestamental period, and on into the New Testament? Mm. And and nobody, both in terms of academia and popular stuff on the powers of darkness, nobody has done that. And I and I'm I'm kind of astonished because again, the the data is all there in in the world of of scholarship. But when I realized that you know what, like nobody's like put that between two covers, especially for the layperson, it's right? Like, that's kind of a no-brainer, you know. I, I should do that. I think it'll be really helpful. Yeah, and that goes back to what you're talking about at the very beginning with the whole that that massive divide between the lay level and the scholarly, and there's just nothing bridging the two. So that would be that yeah. would be in your mind. That's the main. Um, I mean, not the only, but the main contribution that it's making yeah. is kind of synthesizing these things. Yeah, it's it's a synthesis. Again, the the perspective is new because I I treat. You know, again, I don't want to be too harsh here, but but we we have a lot of Christians that that are what I call selectively supernatural. Right. You know, we the, okay. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus, Trinity, angels, demons, Satan, sort of. Right. <laughs> yeah. Know? And and now we're done. You know, yeah. and they don't they either don't realize that there's there's a bigger you know spectrum of players, or they they're uncomfortable with letting certain passages just, just say what they say, like right. the Genesis 6 thing or you know, Deuteronomy 32, 8, 9, Psalm 82, all this stuff. And so, you know, a lot of people don't want to go there because, well, we, we haven't heard this before or, you know, how, how does how does this work scientifically? You know, right. you know we ask the, these questions and, and my pushback to that is always, well, I got news for you. You better better sit down or brace yourself here. <laughs> Nothing we believe conforms to the modern mind. Right. Okay. The, the, you know, explain the, the Trinity scientifically. How about the incarnation? Right. How about the hypostatic union? You know, Jesus is 100% God, 100%. How does that work? You know, we, we have, you know, a whole host of things. The resurrection. You know, how, how's that, you know, palatable to a modern enlightened mind? For sure. 
And, and, and that's uncomfortable for people because when they admit that and they're forced to admit it, then the question that, that remains is, is pretty obvious. Well, why am I closing off this other stuff that scripture says about the spiritual world? Yeah, absolutely. Why, why am I rejecting that? And, and that's what, that's what I want to leave people with, you know, and, and I think the demons book will, will prompt that. I mean, unseen realm does a little bit. It's a, it's a bit of a poke there, but this one will be more so because I think we just have to be honest about what's in this, you know, what's in scripture. Right. Well, good. I'm, and I'm excited to have it, to, to have it come out and to actually get my hands on it. Um, I know, I know several other people that will be that will be reading that as well. I know I won't be alone in that, but just as far as what you said with letting the text speak for itself, that's been one of my uh, one of my big takeaways from from your research and from your writing that I've been appreciative of is is your effort to to let the te- the text speak um, and to kind of force the reader to grapple with what the Bible seems to be presenting on its own terms. So mm-hmm. um, we will we will link these books on our uh, website and the show notes and everything. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll have probably some more interaction about this work in the future, but Dr. Heiser, thank you so much for joining us. And I know you just moved cross country. Is that yeah. correct? So you're yes, joining us in the are. middle of a huge move. Yeah. We're in Jacksonville, Florida now. So okay. we moved 3,500 miles. <laughs> yeah. So down the road. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, right. My goodness. There you go. And that was three, from three. That was from, uh, Lyndon, Washington. We, we lived actually right on the border with Canada and Washington wow. hundred miles or so north of Seattle. So yeah, three cars, six people, three dogs. Good grief. You couldn't have picked a farther move in a car. My goodness. Yeah. Well, it, with well, all that in Miami mind. Miami would have been a little farther. Well, yeah, my, yeah you could have stretched Miami. it on down the coast. Yeah, we almost <laughs> made it. <laughs> Good grief. No, well, with all that being said, though, I, I do appreciate you, though, in the middle of all that move and in all your writing, and I know you're a busy man, but thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it so much um, and hope to talk to you again soon. All right. Thank you. Thank you.